0: Chapter Twenty Five of The Child of the Moat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Child of the Moat by Ian Bernard Stoughton Holborn. Chapter Twenty Five amazing discoveries Wilfred stood and rubbed his hands. I would give a week's pay to see them in Carlisle he chuckled Meanwhile Ian and Aileen Gently made their way along the road to Longtown without mishap They saw a small body of troopers once but the troopers took no notice of them in the desultory border warfare, people went about their business practically unconcerned. Life had to go on, and, if they waited till there was no fighting, to all intents and purposes, they might, in those districts, wait forever. "'What are we going to do when we reach Scotland?' Aileen asked, when at the last it appeared that immediate danger was passing." ''Old Maul does not seem to have been right this time,'' she added. ''We cannot say yet, Burdine. There are many perils and difficulties ahead, perhaps greater than we have yet passed. I wish I could shake off the feeling of that woman. It is not that I believe any of her prophecies. Of course, they are all nonsense, but she is the very incarnation of the spirit of evil.'' a continual oppressive reminder of its presence in the world there is no doubt too that she has a snake-like inexplicable influence over people and puts evil suggestion into their minds just as some other people have exactly the opposite power to talk with maul rouses one's worst nature to talk with some rouses one's best he looked at aline and thought how wonderful her power was what was this power mysteriously possessed by some natures that almost by their very presence they could change men's lives aline and maul might themselves be the warring spirits of good and evil my only object for the moment he said aloud was to rescue you from your desperate danger i thought that then we might have time to think out something there are difficulties indeed the country is in a very unsettled condition partly the troubles with england partly the religious troubles and the difficulty with the regent mary of guise and france but our first trouble is that i have no money and people with no money always find it hard to live and he smiled a rueful smile neither have i said aline at least not to live on i have two gold pieces with me well you are richer than i am he said playfully it will help us somewhat while i find something to set us going i left a note too with wilfred for walter margrove in case he should come within the next few days asking him to send wilfred to Canonby with a little money at once for our present needs wilfred said aileen is that will ackroyd yes said ian i have a story to tell you about how i met him but we must leave it for the present i am very perplexed about this matter of making a livelihood he paused a moment and then continued i might find work as a carpenter or perhaps there will be more call for a smith in these turbulent times but i cannot think what to do with you even if i found some people with whom you could live and worked to keep you there would be all kinds of questions as to where you came from and all about you. Then why not let me work with you as Carpenter's boy, like Will does for Matthew Musgrave? What? And spoil your beautiful hands. By the way, though, he added, what have you been doing to get them in such a shocking condition? I have noticed it all along, but my mind has been so full of schemes and plans for our escape that I have not been able to talk about it aline told him the story and continued anyway carpentry could not be as bad as that ian was shocked and looked at her thankfully i trust we have broken the evil spell he said but princess you are a lady and such very hard work is beyond that to which you have been used yes i hope i am a lady and just because i am a lady it does not matter what i am used to i can turn my hand to anything i do not mind it is only common people who are afraid of demeaning themselves i have often noticed and then she suddenly stopped was not ian himself one of these common people and was it not unmannerly anyway for a real lady to talk like that Noticed what? asked Ian. Oh, just notice that it is so. And by way of changing the subject, she went on. But there is one thing I should mind. I should mind having to cut my hair short. Ian sighed. Yes, you must not do that, little one. We must think of some other plan. But I have quite made up my mind, and I am going to cut it she said in her most queenly manner she said it so firmly and cheerfully that even ian did not realize the struggle that was going on in the little heart well princess if it must be so it must but you need not cut it above the shoulders many pages wear it down to the shoulders pages yes but not carpenter's boys at the same time ian's words gave her a gleam of comfort that was not quite so terrible it would have a good start as soon as she could let it grow again do you think a carpenter's boy could wear it down to his shoulders she asked wistfully certainly said ian it might be a little peculiar but if we could afford to dress you a little more like a page though you were a carpenter's boy i doubt even if anyone would notice they had reached longtown by this time but ian decided not to stop if they could get safely over the border they rode on therefore until they met a small patrol near Canonby, but were allowed after a few explanations to pass at the little inn they made enquiry as to the news of the day this was surprising, but to Ian by no means altogether unexpected. The Protestant feeling had been growing, and some of the Protestant leaders had met at the house of James Sim in Edinburgh, and signed the first covenant called the Godly Band. They were the Earl of Ergyle, Glencarn, the good Earl, Moretown, Archibald, Lord of Lorne, and John Erskine of Doon. Footnote the spelling of the names is taken from a surviving copy of the Covenant. End of footnote. But what was of immediate interest and importance to Ian was that the Earl of Haywick, footnote, this is a fictitious title, and likewise the Border Incident, although there were several such affrays in this year. End of footnote. Was at that moment raising forces in the border shires nominally to fight on the border but in reality to be ready to support the protestant cause against mary of guise his headquarters were but a few miles away and ian wondered whether it was not his duty to throw in his lot with them his own feelings on the whole were friendly to England, and he hated the policy that the regent was pursuing of making Scotland an appendage of France. But if English marauders invaded the border, he was quite ready as a true Scot to fight against them, although it was the religious cause that he had more deeply at heart. Methinks I ought to join them he said i have seen a good deal of fighting in my day and i might be useful to the cause i will go with you said Aline. nonsense child girls do not fight joan of arc fought and why should not i she replied joan of arc was older than you and could stand a strain that would be quite beyond you little one hardy as you are but i should go as your page or attendant would you fight as a trooper or on foot because that of course would make some difference that would remain to be seen but in any case it would be absurd for you to be there but it has given me a new idea sweet child they should be glad of my services and as they are protestants they would be only too pleased to look after you in return but i want to come with you he looked at her sadly it is out of the question he said oh but please let me no berdine you might be killed well that would not matter i have no friends or relatives in the world to care for me it might be the simplest solution of our difficulties if i died trying to help a good cause you must not talk like that Aline. i cannot bear to think of it but i have made up my mind i am coming you might be wounded and i might be just the one to help you and prevent your dying she drew herself up as she spoke and ian knew that further argument was useless in that case we can wait and rest here in any wise for to-day the which we both need i can then go and see the earl tomorrow and probably we can continue to rest for some days while he is recruiting his forces they retired early aline had a little room with a glorious outlook oh how beautiful everything was and how good god had been to her when she was half undressed she sat down and gazed out of the window so this was dear scotland again the land of her birth. For the moment, the recollection of Mala the Graves clouded the prospect, but it passed away. The somber hills looked kindly in the gloaming. She felt hardly able to contain herself for joy. It was true that she was about to face new dangers, but that did not trouble her in the least. She would be definitely doing her duty as she conceived it, fighting for a good cause along with many others. She would no longer be a hunted fugitive, merely trying to preserve her own life. She knelt down and prayed, and felt happier than she had done since her father died, happier even than during the best days in the secret room. So happy was she that she proceeded to cut off her wonderful hair, just below the level of the shoulders without the slightest twinge of regret i wish i had audrey's long mare here was the only thought that troubled her even this was unexpectedly gratified for in the morning she was down first and discovered a long mare in a black oak frame one of the treasures of the hostel as she was looking at herself ian appeared the sight cost him a pang oh child he exclaimed what have you done i've only made myself into a real boy she answered ian bit his lips he would not have thought that he could have minded so much as they were standing there the door suddenly opened and a boy came in hello wilfred is that you yes master i have brought a letter from walter margrove ian took the letter and went over to the window seat on the far side of the room to read it wilfred thought aline wilfred it had a familiar sound before when ian used the name on the road and he came from kirkeswald there was too a tale to be told as ian had said and ian himself had been using an assumed name could it by any chance be the boy of little joan's sad story he held out his hand bashfully and bent his head as aline took it he said i humbly crave your pardon but i believe now i know who you are aline blushed and then she said quietly you have probably guessed rightly whom do you think i am he looked at her for a moment how could there possibly be any doubt there could not be two such beautiful people in the world and he had heard walter and andrew besides ian allude to her unparalleled loveliness you are mistress gillespie he said and bowed awkwardly aline smiled sadly yes she said i am and i believe i have just discovered who you are your name is not really Aykroyd, is it yes mistress it is he answered aline looked baffled but he continued however i have never been known as akroyd as i lived with an aunt whose name was johnstone i thought so she replied softly Come sit over here, for I have a sorrowful tale for you. She took his hand, and the boy followed, lost in wonder and admiration. I used to know poor little Joan, she said very gently. Yes, mistress, I had guessed as much. We heard in Kirkeswald what had happened, and the boy's eyes filled with tears. I know that you did everything for her that could be done, and that she loved you. Aileen felt relieved, as she was spared the worst part of her task. She often used to speak of you, Wilfred, and before she went away, she gave me her greatest treasures, which you had given her long before, and I was to try and return them to you. But, alas, I had to flee from armed men at a moment's notice, in peril of my life, and I have them not. But they are safe and one day i will fulfil my charge she held out her hand oh i'm so sorry for you she said but my words are too feeble to say what i feel the tears were now running freely down the boy's face he took her hand in both his and smothered it with kisses oh joan joan my little joan how can i bear it how can you really be dead and I alive why is the world so cruel oh joan if only i could have died for you aline bent over and kissed him on the forehead she told me to give you that she said then after a pause she went on i'm only a little girl and i do not pretend to understand things wilfred but think if you had died as you have been wishing "'Poor little Joan would have been as unhappy as you are now. "'These things are a mystery, and yet, somehow, "'I feel that the spirit of light in its own way and in its own time "'must triumph over the spirit of darkness. "'I have always felt that, and now that I have my new faith, "'I am more sure of it than ever.' "'I do not see how that can be,' said Wilfred and yet as you speak i seem to feel better i do not understand it myself said aline but i have been right before wilfred looked at her had this wonderful child with the strange deep dark blue eyes some power that other mortals had not angus said ian's voice from the other side of the room Walter has sent us some money. He also offers to help us in every way he can, and there are some other items that will interest you about the rumors he heard in Carlisle. They seem to think we rode through Carlisle and went to Penrith or Keswick. I have written a short note to Walter, which Wilfred can take back. Did you come in the night, Will? Yes, I got a lift on an empty wagon going back to Longtown. There was straw on the bottom and I slept all the way i am afraid i could not sleep in a wagon said ian come and join us at our meal wilfred they had their meal and afterwards sat and talked until it was time for wilfred to return after he had gone aileen and ian set off to the camp where the earl of haywick lay when they arrived ian asked if he might see the earl as he wished to offer his services the sentry looked at him very dubiously and then at aline after which he seemed a little more satisfied as she was better dressed finally he called the officers of the guard who subjected them to a similar scrutiny i think i can see to your business my man he said thank you i have a special message for my lord of haywick said ian aline started at the tone and looked at ian there was a quiet hauteur about it that she had never heard before the man seemed to notice it too who is it that wishes to see the earl he said say ian Menstrie, son of alexander Menstrie. that will do Aline felt a little nervous as she had never met a real earl and had something of the child's imagination about the grandeur of such personages the officer returned very quickly but the change in his manner seemed almost to make him a different man your grace he said bowing very low the earl of haywick is coming at once i said ian Menstrie, not alexander Menstrie," answered ian looking a little annoyed yes your grace said the messenger i made it quite clear the earl of haywick understands aileen was very puzzled they seemed to have strange customs of address in the army but before she had time to think the earl appeared she was a little disappointed was that an earl he was a fair figure of a man but was neither as handsome as ian nor had he she suddenly thought as she looked at the two men the dignity of ian's carriage i am so glad to see you again your grace he said doffing his bonnet and bowing as the officer had done you are the very man we want i shall never forget how well you managed on that miserable day at pinkie clue and scotland can never repay you for the rout of lord wharton on the western marches on that cold february day it was a sorry remnant that he and Gray took back with them, and it marked the turning of the tide. Our country was indeed at a low ebb then. Of course you will share the command with me. I would willingly serve under you, but these are my fellows and they know me, so I shall just follow your advice. On my honor, you shall have all the glory when it is over, not that you used to care much for that kind of thing.' and you were really only a lad then Aileen's eyes grew rounder and rounder haywick continued i heard the news of the old man's death about a week ago it was somewhat of a shock following so soon after your brothers but i said that will bring ian menstrie back to us if anything will i am sure he will throw in his lot with us Aileen gasped who was ian then this carpenter man as she had thought him even in the earlier days she had never supposed that he could be more than a younger son of one of the lesser lairds ian seemed overcome and very sad well my lord if you must know he said in as calm a voice as he could muster i am here by accident i have just had a run for my life with my young page here angus gillespie i am looking rather a sorry object but let that pass i had not heard of my father's death or even of my brother's it is a terrible shock poor fellow said haywick i am sorry to be the bearer of bad news and you are looking a sad wreck you may take as many days rest as we can manage before i forget i want to know if you can let us have a couple of horses these are not mine and i want to return them to the owner i also wish to know if you can spare a couple of troopers to take them back to Kirkeswald. they can arrange the matter at carlisle are they english horses yes ha 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 fancy returning english horses across the border when once you have got them here well you always were a strange fellow yes you can have as many troopers as you please and horses and anything you want aline was very impatient to have ian by himself and was glad when he turned to go after giving a brief account of his imprisonment and the outline of his main adventures avoiding all details the earl accompanied them to the inn and then took his leave promising to send ian an outfit such as more became his station and, at Ian's special request, everything that under the circumstances could be procured befitting a page of gentle birth. Aileen was pleased to find no one in the hostel. Ian was tired and his wounds hurt him, although Aileen had attended to them regularly. He sat down by the fire and sighed. It was a cold day, and Aileen crouched at the hearthstone by his feet. She put her hand on his knee and looked up. Ian's eyes were full of tears. Aileen had never seen anything like this. She stood up, stroking his head with her delicate hand, and kissed him on the forehead. He did not speak, but drew her gently to him. The child threw both her arms about his neck and seated herself on his knee. Oh, I wish I could comfort you, she said it was too much for ian and two great tears actually rolled down his cheek my father was all that he said then making an effort he controlled himself and looked at aline's beautiful sympathetic little face a curious feeling passed through him he had lost his father and his father had never been kind to him and he had gained this child who was devoted to him was this God's recompense? He passed his fingers through her short locks. What have you done with all the glory you cut off? He said. It's upstairs. I plated it in four plates. May I have some? He asked. You may have it all if you like. It was a big sacrifice, child heart. He said softly and kissed her may i ask you something she said even though it does make you sad but i would rather learn from your own lips you know you have not told me who you are who are you he paused a moment while he continued gently stroking her hair i am now the duke of ocho little one aline rose from his knee and crouched down on the hearth again she gazed up at him wonderingly in after years as she looked back she understood her feelings but at the time they were a perplexity even to herself so far from being pleased that he was a duke she resented it it seemed to put a barrier between them his grace the duke of oakle could not be the same as her dear friend ian ian saw the expression on her face and half guessed its meaning it does not please you heart Zees, he said she looked up quickly and then said simply i do not know it is strange end of chapter twenty five